Welcome back to the Youth Bible in One Year, day 104. In life, we make mistakes, but there are some mistakes that have a much larger impact than others. So how do we avoid these mistakes and make sure we live lives of integrity? James Cameron, director of the movie Titanic, describes the Titanic as a metaphor of life. We're all living on the Titanic. When the Titanic set sail in 1912, it was declared to be unsinkable because it was constructed using a new technology. The ship's hull was divided into 16 watertight compartments. Up to four of these compartments could be damaged or even flooded, and still the ship would float. Tragically, the Titanic sank on the 15th of April 1912 at 2.20am, 1,513 people lost their lives. At the time, it was thought that five of its watertight compartments had been ruptured in a collision with an iceberg. However, on the 1st of September 1985, when the wreck of the Titanic was found lying upright on the ocean floor, there was no sign of the long gash previously thought to have been ripped in the ship's hull. What they discovered was that damage to one compartment affected all the rest. Many people make the titanic mistake. They think they can divide their lives into different compartments and that what they do in one will not affect the rest. However, as Rick Warren, from whom I've taken this illustration, says, a life of integrity is one that is not divided into compartments. David prayed for an undivided heart. He led the people with integrity of heart. Supremely, Jesus was a man of integrity. How can you and I avoid the titanic mistake and live lives of integrity? From Proverbs 9 Folly is an unruly woman. She is simple and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house, calling to those who pass by, Come to my house. Stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are deep in the realm of the dead. Integrity in relationships. It's not easy to lead a life of integrity in relationships. Temptations abound and the lure is strong. The woman folly is loud, calling out, Come in here. She says stolen water is sweet. Food eaten in secret is delicious. Yet this is a total deception. Why should stolen water be sweet, or food eaten in secret be delicious? In fact, unfaithfulness leads to a deadening of the spirit. But little do they know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depth of the grave. The Apostle Paul writes that if you set your mind on what your sinful nature desires, it leads to death. But the mind governed by the Spirit is life and peace. Lord, by your Spirit, help me to live a life of integrity, rooting out secret sin and living a life that is authentic and faithful. New Testament from Luke 16 Jesus told his disciples, There was a rich man whose manager was accused of wasting his possessions. So he called him in and asked him, What is this I hear about you? Give an account of your management, 
because you cannot be manager any longer. The manager said to himself, What shall I do now? My master is taking away my job. I'm not strong enough to dig, and I'm ashamed to beg. I know what I'll do, so that when I lose my job here, people will welcome me into their houses. So he called in each one of his master's debtors. He asked the first, How much do you owe my master? Three thousand litres of olive oil, he replied. The manager told him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifteen hundred. Then he asked the second, And how much do you owe? Thirty tons of wheat, he replied. He told him, Take your bill and make it twenty-four. The master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the people of this world are more shrewd in dealing with their own kind than other people of the light. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves, so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much, but whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So if you have not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? And if you have not been trustworthy with someone else's property, who will give you property of your own? No one can serve two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Integrity with money. Jesus spoke about money more than virtually any other subject, including prayer and heaven. Twelve out of the 38 parables are about money or possessions. As Billy Graham put it, if a person gets their attitude towards money straight, it will help straighten out almost every other area in their life. In today's passage, Jesus teaches us about how to get a right view of money. He starts with the rather strange parable of the dishonest manager, who is commended for his shrewdness. First, money is a tool. The people of this world are often more sensible, thoughtful, prudent and wise than the people of God in understanding that money is a tool. The dishonest manager is commended for his shrewdness in seeing this. The reality is that money can be a tool for eternal benefit. I tell you, use worldly wealth to gain friends for yourselves so that when it is gone, you will be welcomed into eternal dwellings. Jesus taught on the wonder of being with him for eternity in the parables of the great banquet and the prodigal son. Here we are reminded that the use of our money on earth can have eternal consequences. One of Jesus' primary concerns was to see the good news of the kingdom of God being preached. Your money can be used to see God's rule and reign coming into people's lives with eternal consequences. Second, money is a test. Jesus is not commending the dishonest manager for his dishonesty. Indeed, the opposite is the case. He goes on to say, whoever can be trusted with very little can also be trusted with much. And whoever is dishonest with very little will also be dishonest with much. So, if you've not been trustworthy in handling worldly wealth, who will trust you with true riches? Be an honest and trustworthy steward of everything God has given you, including your money. The more trustworthy you are with money, the more God will give you true riches. Third, money is a threat. Jesus says, No one can be a slave to two masters. Either you will hate the one and love the other, or you will be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot be a slave to both God and money. As Dietrich Bonhoeffer put it, Our hearts have room for only one all-embracing devotion, and we can only cleave to one Lord. 
Money is to be used, but not loved. Don't love money and use people. Love people and use money. The threat is that love of money leads to hatred of God. The Pharisees loved money. They were money-obsessed and sneered at Jesus. Have the opposite attitude to money. Despise it. In other words, treat it with contempt by giving generously and focusing your love not on money, but on God who knows your hearts. Lord Jesus, teach me to be generous. Teach me to serve you as you deserve. To give and not to count the cost. To labor and not to seek reward. Except that of knowing that I do your will. Old Testament from Deuteronomy 21 and 22. If someone guilty of a capital offence is put to death and their body is exposed on a pole, you must not leave the body hanging on the pole overnight. Be sure to bury it that same day, because anyone who is hung on a pole is under God's curse. If you see your fellow Israelite's ox or sheep straying, do not ignore it, but be sure to take it back to its owner. If they do not live near you, or if you do not know who owns it, take it home with you and keep it until they come looking for it. Then give it back. Do the same if you find their donkey or cloak or anything else they have lost. Do not ignore it. When you build a new house, make a parapet around your roof so that you may not bring the guilt of bloodshed on your house if someone falls from the roof. Integrity of lifestyle. Many of these laws were temporary in purpose. For example, the food laws and so on were symbolic. They educated the people of God in the pursuit of purity. Others. However shocking they may seem to us, are surprisingly advanced for the standards of the time. For example, there are limits put on how a captive woman can be treated. She must not be dishonoured or humiliated. There is to be honour in sexual relationships. God is concerned about premarital sex, promiscuity, adultery, rape and incest. As we saw in today's New Testament passage, Jesus himself spoke strongly about the need for marriage vows to be honoured. God is also concerned about protecting the vulnerable. Rape is always a horrible crime. But in ancient societies, it could also lessen a woman's chances of marrying. This is the context behind the obligation for a rapist to pay compensation and to marry the woman in question. However, in the equivalent passage in Exodus 22.17, it's made clear that this does not mean that the woman has to marry the man. This law is designed to protect rape victims, not add forced marriage to their suffering. Consideration is to be shown to neighbours. It is not enough to do no harm to your neighbour. Positively do them good. Ignoring those in need is wrong. Don't look the other way as if you didn't see it. We see the beginnings here of what our English law came to describe as a duty of care towards our neighbour. Make sure that your property, home, car, bike and so on is safe and not likely to cause harm to your neighbour. Make it safe. I find all of today's passages very challenging. I know I fall short in many of these areas. I have often failed. Is there any hope? In the middle of all these laws comes a clue. Anyone who's hung on a tree is under God's curse. Paul quotes this verse in Galatians and explains its significance to us. Everyone who fails to keep all the law of God is under a curse. This is the curse of the law. However, the wonderful news 
is that Jesus took the curse on himself, on our behalf, on the cross, the tree. He became a curse and at the same time dissolved the curse. As a result, all of us are now able to receive by faith the promise of the Holy Spirit. My failure to live a life of total integrity means that I've failed to keep the law. I would therefore be under God's curse. But Jesus became a curse for me on the cross. Hanging on the tree, he took God's curse upon himself for you and me so that we can be redeemed, set free and receive the promise of the Spirit to enable us to begin to lead lives of complete integrity. Lord, thank you that you died for me so that I might be forgiven and receive the gift of your Holy Spirit. By your Spirit, help me to live a life of integrity of heart. Pippa adds, Deuteronomy 21 verse 18, I find this passage very difficult. I prefer Jesus. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, I ask today that you would help me to stay true to your words. Help me to stay on the right paths and avoid big mistakes by listening to you and following your commands. Fill me with your spirit today and guide me in everything I do. In Jesus' name, amen.